Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Um, hello, Jonathan. Thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. Uh, I would like to ask you first how you would like to define and introduce yourself for the people the first time listening to you. Well, thank you for being here. It's, uh, I greatly appreciate the um, invitation. Um, I'm Jonathan Bertie. I'm the founder of a company called Robovision.ai, located in Belgium, uh, near Ghent. And um, yeah, I'm a passionate um, person in the sense that I, I'm pursuing my dreams, my mission, which is uh, making intelligence accessible to many more people than um, nowadays in academia. That's, I mean, in a nutshell, who I am. So maybe before going to this point, I'm curious, uh, that's the traditional question we have in the podcast about the childhood. How was your childhood about being curious about stuff or science or technology because it plays a significant role in our thinking as adults yeah oh that's a very very good question i was the the first time i really encountered science from a personal perspective was when i was three or four years old i i just simply could not grasp that i was an independent being from reality and i really had this like um, yeah, this very strong experience that I, I, I really was surprised that I was living and I was really surprised of my own consciousness. And ever since, I've been triggered by the notion of um, autonomous intelligence and automation because uh, in a way, I felt uh, as a child and as a young adolescent that the quest for my own consciousness, what it was, was actually also the quest for autonomous intelligence. So I'm still pursuing my dream, uh, my dream of having a company elaborating on that and, and making a business out of that. That's very fascinating. I'm just curious first, how a three or four years has kind of, I feel that's something challenging as a question to ask yourself at this early age. How this happened? Is this about your parents do that or the environment encourage you to do, think about that? Not really. I, I, I mean, it was just like it, it struck me. Just I, I was on on the stairs somewhere. I remember it. It just struck me, and um, yeah, it overwhelmed me. It was also almost like a mystical experience. That how can it be that I'm independent from reality, and what will happen to me if I die? So I, I was it was almost a religious experience. But I translated this into science. Uh, in the sense that I wanted to understand the true nature of intelligence. And that's still what I'm doing right now, trying to understand what consciousness is and, and how autonomous intelligence uh, yeah, can be generated. So maybe I think the interesting part, I think many audience can relate with you. You mentioned I have this kind of dream or I'm so passionate about into understanding intelligence and what consciousness is. So how, how this kind of, for you, just, I want to do this company, and maybe you have a choice to be a traditional career, or maybe be in academia and doing, of course, 
still uh, not many people can take challenges to pursue what they really want in their life as you wanted uh, you highlighted so how this kind of the dreams or passion translated in robofishing and how you started to ask the question what is intelligence really is and how it's really uh, interpreted in current uh, development we have well uh, let me start at puberty just to skip some uh, some of the earliest childhood years but um I- I, I had these books of my father that were li- lying around, uh, laying around like uh, Shadows of the Mind of Roger Penrose. He just won a Nobel Prize last year. Um, but also Gödel Escherbach, which was um, for me like the Bible of AI. I understood that the nature of reality was truly mathematical um, and that if I wanted to pursue um, true philosophy, um, a technical road like studying mathematics and physics was a good thing to do. So at 18 years old, I decided to actually um, yeah, go for physics, uh, engineering physics, uh, because I also knew that it had um, a lot of liberty in the last two years. And in the last two years, I wanted to tweak my um, my educational career. And that's what happened. I went to uh, Zurich, the Institute of uh, Neuroinformatics in 1999, where uh, a lot of scientists of uh, interdisciplinary background were studying um, yeah, the brain. They were actually reverse engineering the brain in order to understand uh, the true nature of intelligence. And at that moment, in that year, I was so enthusiastic and I, I was so enforced in my, uh, empowered in my mission that the idea to create RoboVision was actually um, yeah, given birth there in 1999 um, because I understood that software, as we were programming it 20 years ago, uh, at some point would come to an end because um, yeah, I strongly believed that AI was about to be happening in, in, in the years afterwards. And um, that's when I started as a consultant to um, yeah, employ image processing algorithms. First, I wrote them myself uh, in 2004, 2005 in automotive. And then at some point, I understood that it would be great to let a machine create those very algorithms. And that's when I started to pursue this entrepreneurship dream and I, when I created RoboVision now about 12 years ago. And of course, in the beginning, it was still a struggle because I was still creating these algorithms myself and with my team manually. But in 2012, uh, I went back to the university uh, to a friend, uh, an early childhood friend, uh, Benjamin Schrauen, who led a lab uh, in uh, reservoir computing at the University of Ghent. And uh, I told him, like, I, I just can't handle it anymore. I have so many different plant types. At the time, I needed to program algorithms for plants. Isn't there a way with this new technique called machine learning to automate this algorithm creation? And it was at the time that deep learning was also starting to appear in academic papers. So in a way, um, my journey coincided with the journey of AI. And what we're really doing right now is making scalable AI happen. And that's what our mission is as a company, to give access to companies, small and big, to institutes, to people all over the world and create 
algorithms automatically just by labeling and curating visual data. How do you see the changes happening now? Well, you see that it, it works uh, in our everyday lives. Um, we see that the voice recognition really starting to work, that uh, we can order stuff on Amazon with Alexa. We can just uh, direct music with Google Home. We can do a lot of amazing stuff. And, and in the back end, it's mostly due to advances in deep learning. Um, we call them the deep learning pioneers, Joshua Benju, Jeffrey Hinton and Jan Lequin, three um, Europe-based, no, two Europe-based scientists and, and one Canadian scientist. Um, they all, both of the two of them live in Canada and, and another one in, in uh, the United States. They made this technique called deep learning based on neural networks, which is in fact an algorithm factory. And it's that with, with RoboVision we're pursuing. We're uh, building a wrapper around this algorithm factory so people can just upload images, uh, Photoshop them or annotate them in a way um, and, and create an automatic uh, detection algorithm. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you what this may be still biggest limitation for deep learning in that case, based on what are you facing in RoboVision, what's still biggest limitation do you think? Uh, the biggest limitation uh, is connected to the fact that it's still quite early. If you look at um, radio or if you look at the, the other techniques that are out there, they've been there for decades. And deep learning is, is still quite fresh if you look at it from a humanity timescale. Um, and so, so the biggest limitations are due to the fact that we don't fully understand why they work so well. They're very much black box systems that learn and that reproduce what we've learned them, just as a small child where we give examples to. And connected to that black box nature, it is very hard to understand why deep learning chooses sometimes A and not B, and in another case B and not A. So explainability is, is a challenge. It is also, common sense is also a challenge. So it's it's it's... Uh, not so good at combining different areas of knowledge like speech and, and, and vision. I mean, uh, academia is, is, is advancing there, but it's not yet fully industrialized. And um, yeah, we try to work around these challenges uh, to choose problems that are doable with nowadays technology and to try to build explainer modules. So we, we try to work around those problems. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting point for mentioning about explainable uh, algorithm. Do you think the problem comes from the modeling that uh, describe how the system works? Do you think it could be have a repercussion in nautical way in the application that in terms of trusting what they do and why they choose a certain uh, choices? So do you think this is something how we can solve that? What could be the, uh, the road for that so that we can have explainable AI? I think we need to connect speech in a much better way to to visual algorithms so they, they can start to explain themselves in, in human understandable language. Um, I think in true innovation is often connected to invisible uh, things. And I, I mean with that, if AI is really achieving its goals, it will be everywhere, but nobody would really notice it. And... Um, with AI, that is, of course, the idea of a of somebody that's just coaching you, that's just there as a butler, um, that understands, that sees 
to the things that you see and can explain it in the same ways that you would explain it. And that is, I think, the next stage of AI is, is more this interdisciplinary approaches with language, uh, image, video, all combined and having a human-like explanation in the end. Mm-hmm. I would like to stress on the point when you say that in academia we have advancement. You mentioned Lacoon and, and uh, Jeffrey Hinton, and they are really advancing in the field and others as well. But if you can elaborate more, what, what is lacking to be industrialized um, uh, in, uh, from academia to industry? What is missing here from the experience at Vision? What is really struggling and was frustrating? Why is this kind of maybe this is a challenge or is this missing pieces here? The lack of data. I mean, what happens very often is that um, problems in academia, challenges in academia are cherry picked based on the availability of data. And data is not always there in the industry uh, because in the industry it's this challenge first and then you look at the techniques to solve the challenge. It's the other way around. So, um, yeah, to have deep learning operate on less data is, is, is at this moment really something which is being pursued by a lot of parties and companies and um, for the rest what else Um, well the fact that it's still very fresh um, and it is is an ecosystem which is pretty chaotic in terms of um, frameworks you have of course the usual suspects like tensorflow pytorch keras mxnet uh, those kind of things and then you have all these hardware components like you have the nvidia gpu range but you also have tpus of tensorflow and you have um yeah all this cloud availability of of different uh, processors and so on so it is it is a very chaotic ecosystem and if if there is one thing that industry doesn't like very much it is um, a lack of standards and that's what we see right now i mean tensorflow is rapidly becoming like a reference framework, but still, I mean, if you look at PyTorch, which is gaining a lot of popularity in the last months, um, the battle hasn't been won yet. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, so maybe in that's reflecting on that. What could be you think maybe something uh, or direction is very bronzing, but still the community uh, maybe from industry or academia disagree or doesn't get much attention to it at the moment. Do you have any kind of thoughts about these directions? I think Petra Bill and Berkeley is doing great stuff on re- reinforcement learning. So, um, yeah, training intelligence without data and, and having a virtual environment where these um, agents are training themselves. So that's a very promising um, area. Um, which is still very young, um, not, not, not used uh, extensively in the industry. Um, other parts are, I think a lot of research is being done. So uh, when I'm going to give you examples of fields that I think are neglected or not focused on yet, I think I would make a mistake because I... Uh, we would have to re- we would have Twitter reactions from people that are busy in that field. So I think that that's there is there is a lot of activity in applying deep learning in a, in a lot of different niches and yeah it, it's just going it's it's going on and it's it's going fast and let's just see what happens in the next years and decades. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's go back for the, the new role at Trumbovision at CEO of, uh, for, of the company. So I'm curious about the challenges uh, for running a company. Maybe there many students listening to you, maybe interested to starting a startup. And if you can give us a realistic look, how it looks uh, to be in Belgium and doing this kind of work, uh, either the challenges or maybe opportunities. Um, yeah, if you can share the experiences in depth about uh, how it looks like for you. Well, that's a very good question and a tough que question to answer in, in just five minutes or something, but I, I will do my best. Um, the challenge is that the nowadays framework to run a technology company is that one of a squeezed lemon. Uh, I remember our own prime minister comparing scale-ups as lemons <laughs> and having some pretty bad reactions on that. But uh, in, in a way, it is it is right. If you're growing a company from 10 to 50 to 100 people as, as we're doing at RoboVision, it, it comes at, at an enormous cost, an enormous personal cost. Um, yeah, family, friends, uh, because you can only win the battle if you have a true razor sharp focus and a true uh, awareness of a, of a mission to, to be accomplished. So th that is one big challenge, the fact that um, from the outside, it looks very successful, but uh, yeah, it can be very lonely to, to pursue this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial dream. And, and from another perspective, to work with people is always a challenge and has always been and will always be because you have a very difficult stakeholder management. If you are there with a startup with three, four, five people, yeah, you can just um, agree on a decision and then after five minutes it's just done deal yeah let's go that way but if you have 94 people as we have with robovision and our team scattered around the world you have people in different time zones you have people with different backgrounds different cultures uh, different dreams and you all need to try to align them trying because it's it's never entirely possible and to get this passion this sense of ownership this um, yeah, sharing towards one another to, to have it uh, embedded in the culture of your company. And that, that's, a, that's a true challenge because from the technological perspective, uh, engineers and people that pursue technical educational studies, yeah, we know, common sense knows that they're not always the most social people. I, uh, there is some, there are some kind of correlations that the more genius you are the more you are towards the the autistic spectrum so to say so it's it's really difficult to work with a lot of smart people at the same time because they all have different ideas um, and at the same time you have to earn money let's let's make it clear a business is still a business in a capitalistic model i mean have, hasn't changed uh, the last decades so you still need to make money each month you need to pay the salaries you need to explain why you're taking this project and not another project you have to live the stretch of getting money in but also have enough focus to develop your product so it's uh, i mean to to conclude i would say that to be a Successful entrepreneur is an enormous stretch, stretch uh, along different lines, along different axes, emotional axis, uh, 
um, stress axis. I mean, it's, you have to, to combine a lot of things to be successful. And it, it is also, in a way, um, a casino because at some point you need to uh, be open for external capital, capital but you, you have to choose the right moment. You understand? Yeah, that's. Uh, I really like this answer. I think, um, yeah, maybe the first question here, how you get that? Is this something was easy for you at the beginning that, because some people just maybe quit their, what they want to do. Is it challenging for what you say, but how you manage to, to gain these qualities? Well, it's, it's, it's not so much about the qualities. It's not so much about the skill set. It's about hardcore passion. It's about grit, perseverance, to really achieve your goals, uh, even if you, you are rock bottom, even, even if, if everybody's telling you like, oh, just find yourself a normal job, a, a usual job, you will be so much happier. But it, it is this, to live this dream of your inner child, that is the true uh, factor of success. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So maybe for application for you trying to, in the company solving what could be direction you thought that would work out very well, but in reality was something was surprising for you, or maybe you didn't expect that? Is this kind of project or uh, application you handled, and yeah, was surprising that maybe different result or expectations? I think one of the most um, challenging fields for AI is is definitely healthcare, uh, because in healthcare. Things look easy, but they are very complicated, even from a legal point of view, from an expectation management point of view, from a stakeholder management point of view. Um, yeah, you, you just have to detect those cancer cells inside the brain, but nothing is what it seems. It can be easy to detect them, but to deploy it in reality and to make people trust what you've built for them based on some arbitrary data set, is extremely challenging and it's also very needed so it's one of the true challenges of technical people working in the ai field is to build trustworthy ai systems and to have these ai systems collaborate in the right way with humans because there is no independent ai there is always this link with humans with human lives with human interpretation with human perception that's also the reason why it's so difficult to have autonomously driving cars. I mean, there is a lot possible, but in the end, people that are driving cars are not only just looking at the road. They also notice that some older uh, women or guys just driving a car. So they will be careful because they know that the reflexes of this older person are different. Uh, so we have a lot of peripheral knowledge, common sense knowledge that AI still needs to build up. And, and furthermore, if you would be on the highway and if you suddenly saw a car without a person inside or without a person behind the wheel, you would be scared. And, and some people would, would be astonished and would react differently. So it would create all kinds of weird interactions between AI systems and humans that we're still not aware of. You understand? I, I don't know what you thought about Elon Musk uh, because he had a lot of maybe 
argument or people really didn't believe what he's doing right now for suffering going to slander too. Um, I don't know what you thought about that. Well, he's of course the hero of the technological community and, and, and uh, he's, he's like a poster child, uh, uh, an example of, of um, all people that dream about a technological future as a foundation for this society 2.0. But at the same time, he's a bit crazy. Everybody knows that. Eh? I mean, you have to be crazy to pursue such gigantic ambitions. But he's he's being able to to do that. He has he just fallen short of 500,000 produced cars in 2020. Four years ago, this was just uh, by analysts of the Tesla share. Um, it's just like, this can never happen, they were stating. I saw something passing by on Twitter that uh, some analyst of four years ago that just stated like, this is just a lie. It will never happen 500,000 cars in 2020. So in a way, he, he's achieved that. And also through passion and grit and, and, and non-conformism. That's what in Europe, the Middle East, um, we sometimes lack. We are more conformist than than. Uh, Americans and Canadians and, and so it's to pursue like uh, your challenges your dreams you need to think outside of the box but also uh, believe in yourself and not in the rules that society expects you to be that's a very excellent point maybe I'm, I won't stop here because I think that's something maybe many students and also audience would like to know this in detail how you can figure out that what you're doing is really worth uh, fighting for it or going forward. And sometimes you have to meet the expectation of society about whether you're crazy, what you're doing is crazy. So sometimes people fall into challenges between illusion, being have this dream, whether it's illusion or it's just something, it just can't lead to fulfill my dreams or goals. Have you ever had this kind of struggle? What is society expecting you to be and what you want to be? And Of course, of course, of course. And every dream starts as an illusion, an illusion which is not believed by many other people and only by yourself. And, and that's, I mean, I, I remember I, I, was, uh, I was running uh, like in the forest two days ago with a, a friendly entrepreneur and he was talking about one of his best salespeople. And what he said was, was really remarkable. He said, like, to be an excellent salesperson, you need to believe in your own bullshit. And that's exactly that. Sometimes you need to believe in your own bullshit to, to keep on pursuing, to, to just keep on, yeah, keep on going, keep on going. You have to imagine that, suppose, Mavida, that you have to run for 40 kilometers and after 20 kilometers, you're convinced that you will not reach these 40 kilometers. Would you continue? I don't think so, because you know that you would not reach it. So you always ha have this mental loop of pursuing what is actually maybe not possible. That's brilliant. Thanks so much for saying that. Yeah, I think that's something very, very important uh, for anyone who wanted to do their dream in life. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to ask you about the, the democratizing data, because this is something you see, it's challenging. So how, how we can, uh, the resourcing is becoming a substantial problem, uh, as we mentioned. 
and uh, maybe well-funded labs or companies can provide that. And it makes that some people can we don't have this access to this data. Can you imagine how we can solve the problem of this data resourcing? Um, yes, I, I think I can. I mean, if we look at Facebook and Instagram and, and other kind of, of social networks, uh, some of you uh, listening to this podcast have seen The Social Dilemma, the documentary about social networks. And, and we all know that it's, it's a pact with the devil, a Faustian pact with the devil. And the devil is, of course, capitalism and advertisement. I mean, everybody's, if you do not pay for the product, you're the product. That's, that's the, 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 the central point of the social d dilemma. And in a way, I think we're all learning now in these years and days and months that what happened to Linux which was open source that became magnificent also needs to happen to social networks. I, I really think that people need to cooperate more in an open source like way with making data sets in, in communities and, and, and leveraging it with open source software. So we can own our own data and we're no longer the product and it will become extremely important because if you look at, for instance, COVID-19 and all the tragedies that are happening worldwide with, uh, with this disease, then yeah, some of you know that one of the most promising vaccines out there was made by a Turkish-German couple. It was an mRNA vaccine based on, on gen technology. And if you, if you remember uh, four years ago when Donald Trump won the election, there was a whole um, how could I say, um, tragedy with Cambridge Analytica leaking all this data. And this data was misused to gear people towards uh, voting in a certain direction. Imagine if that would happen with genetic information. If genetic information of millions of people would be leaked. I think this can only be mitigated, this risk, if we are working with open source encryption technology. If we are investing as society in distributed AI systems like Andrew Trask of DeepMind with openmind.org. And when we can leverage our own data in a secure way and train on it in a community-like way. So in a way we need a new wave similar to the Linux wave, but then focused on data on our own ownership of our own data. Mm -hmm. That's a good point, yeah. So we're of course going to send a few questions. Uh, the first one, how you ensure what you're developing, maybe in any um, maybe robotics or AI industry, or even in academia, how you ensure what, what we develop is beneficial to the humanity? Oh, that's a very good question. We have uh, internally this, this ethical framework which we're building. It's not yet finished and it, it, it is very challenging because it's, it's, of course, you have two extremes. At one extreme, you need to pay the bills at the end of the month. You need to make sure that all of these wonderful families, um, yeah, that they can feed their children. And on the other end, you just want to choose only those projects that are most beneficial to humanity. So in between 
this gray zone. You need to steer as an entrepreneur and make the right decisions. But the best decisions are made when um, yeah, enough eyes are looking towards those decisions. So that, that kind of, of orchestration we're building into the RoboVision deal uh, qualification framework. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And how, how would you think we can enable more inclusive culture around competitive idea about being inclusive in this field? Have you ever think about whether we have to make extra effort to be more inclusive? Uh, sure, sure, it needs more inclusivity. And we see that a lot is moving. Eh? Um, like uh, Google has had this this issue with uh, the inclusivity officer or something. I think uh, there was a lot, a lot of press about that. Uh, I saw on Twitter that today uh, also some ethics research intern was starting at DeepMind uh, also probably investigating these kind of challenges and issues. So a, a lot is moving, but yeah, it is, I think it's it's in every field of the industry, in every field of the economy that you have these challenges and you need to mitigate them in, a, in an authentic and honest way. I think we're not different in AI than, than, than many other fields. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. And maybe I'm curious about what is your aspiration uh, for RoboVision and for yourself as well? Oh, that's a good question. There are two aspects about my aspiration. There is what I want RoboVision to be, but at some point, of course, uh, it's my baby, but I will at some point in the future leave it growing because I'm not the ideal CEO to grow it probably to 500 or 1,000 people. And then what will I do with the revenue which is created from yeah, uh, me leaving that company? I think it's, uh, it's important to pursue your ideals in life. And my ideal is, is certainly focused around education and, and, and growing young people, uh, growing up young people and on all the challenges and, and, and issues related to that. So my, my personal aspiration is to be important in the field of educational technology, probably combined with AI. And that of RoboVision is that, yeah, it, it is really a democratic engine for algorithm creation. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful, yeah. And do you think ego is important for you sometimes? Ego, you mean? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yes. I mean, we're all uh, human beings and I, I think uh, there are very few selfless people. And uh, which book inspired you? Well, I already mentioned the book, Gödel Escherbach. Um, it's a book that is combining insights in creativity, like Bach music, um, yeah, also uh, drawing um, uh, artists like Escher. And uh, Gödel is a mathematician. So um, it is yeah, literature, I, in, from a technical perspective, that is envisaging this, um, uh, what it, which is breaking down barriers in between departments and fields of thoughts. That is what I like the most. Kind of, um, yeah, books that are uh, explaining underlying patterns of reality. And lastly, what was best advice was given to you 
and was a life changing. The best advice that was given to me is, yeah, um, always try to be good for other people. If you're, if you have hidden agendas, or the more in transparency you have towards other people, the more it will bite you and come back as a boomerang. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. And do you have any final words you would like to say for the audience listening to you? Any final words you would like to say? Yes, especially for women. Um, pursue your dreams. Think outside of the box. Everything is possible. Um, and yeah, make things happen and, and reach out for help. There are so many good tools nowadays like LinkedIn. You can just reach anybody on earth. You can send anybody on earth a message. Um, and you can just ask them. And there are many good people. Just ask them for advice, for help. And they, some of them will reach out and, and mean a difference in your life. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think, a very powerful message. Yeah, including myself. So uh, thanks so yes. much, Jonathan. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you're so passionate and uh, intelligent person. So I really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks so much. It was, a, it was a real pleasure to be here. I mean, honestly, I really like... Um, people like you that are pursuing their dreams and, and want to um, also communicate it with the world. I really want to support that. So thumbs up for that. It's, a, it's just an honor to have you. Thank you. 